Good morning. Um, actually, Jack's going to start by reading um, a bit of Judges 7 for us, because that's what we're looking at this morning. So, so this is Judges 7. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down to their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300, who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he said. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianites into your hands. So today is the last of um, three parts of the series we've been doing on Gideon. And um, the question I want you to think about this morning and this week is where is God asking you in your life to act in obedience to him and claim a promise that he has given you? Where has God in your life asked you to act in obedience to him and claim a promise that he has given you? So just to recap a little bit of Judges 6 for those who might not have been here over the summer and have been enjoying summer holidays... um, 
at the beginning of Judges 6, we see that the Israelites have been doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's what it says in verse 1. And they've been suffering from the Midianite raids for seven years. And um, eventually they turn back to God. And they cry to God for help. And God responds by calling Gideon. And Gideon is a little bit confused by this calling and asks God for a sign uh, to confirm it. And Gideon uh, presents an offering of food to the Lord. And God sends fire down miraculously on that, on that food. And then um, God asks Gideon to tear down the monuments to other gods in uh, his area, which Gideon does. And um, Gideon's still feeling a bit unsure of his calling. And he does certain things to ask God to confirm his promises to him. So he puts the fleece out and asks God to put dew on the fleece and not on the ground, and then on the ground and not on the fleece. And um, in Judges 7, the passage that Jack just read out, Gideon actually starts to gear up to do what God has been calling him to do. And we see him we see him actually complete the promise that God's given him, uh, which he's been kind of dilly-dallying about, you know, unsure of. And I feel like God's message for us today is exactly what Gideon said to his men when he finally becomes convinced of God's promise. Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Get up. The Lord has given Oxford into your hands. Get up. The Lord has given the nations into your hands. That's what this morning is about. And Gideon goes through four stages in coming to that point of realizing that God means it when he makes promises. First of all, there is the promise. God has promised things to you as individuals and to us as a church. That's the first thing. But often our response is fear and uncertainty rather than confidence. But God is gracious and he encourages us in our fear. And the final question then is what are you going to do with that encouragement? Are you going to receive it and then just wait for the next one and never actually get up to claim the promise that God's given you? Or are you going to worship God and let action flow out of your worship and obey him when he asks you to claim that promise? So what we're looking at today is promise, fear, encouragement, obedience. So looking at promise first, for Gideon, let's just rewind, promise. For Gideon, the promise is first stated in chapter 6, verse 16. And the promise is that God is with him and will give him victory. But this promise goes a lot further back than just Gideon. I want to read you verse 12 of chapter 7. It says, The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. 
I want to read you now Genesis 22:17. This is when God made a promise to Abraham. He said, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And years later, Jacob reminds God of this promise. And he says in Genesis 32, God, you promised me I will surely treat you kindly. I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands on the seashore, too many to count. In Judges 7, it's the camels of the Midianites that are too many to count, and I like the sand on the seashore. It's like the Midianites are taking for themselves the promises that the Israelites have failed to claim by their disobedience to God. The Midianites are taking for themselves the promises that the Israelites have failed to claim because of their disobedience to God. And then it says that they're like locusts on on the valley. And it kind of reminds me of Exodus 10 when Egypt receives this plague of locusts and now Israel is being swamped by this plague of Midianite locusts. And they're receiving God's warnings instead of his promises. And God wants to change this. And he promises Gideon that it is time to reclaim those old promises. What are the promises of God in your life that you have forgotten that now need to be reclaimed? Moving on to fear. If you're anything like me, when you think about your answer to that question, you feel excited for a few moments and then the fear catches up with you. (laughs) And what I love about Gideon is that he is so human I often, if you look at some of the other leaders in the book of Judges, they seem so strong in their leadership, and they seem so confident, they know what they're doing. But Gideon is this guy who's totally plagued by doubts and fears, even as God promises him the most amazing things. In in chapter 6, he's called a mighty warrior, whilst he's hiding for fear in a wine press. He pulls down the idols that are in his local area, but he does it in the middle of the night because he's afraid of what people are going to think. God speaks really plainly to him, and yet he puts down all these feces because he's really scared that he's got it wrong somewhere. God reiterates his promises again in chapter 7, in verse 7 and verse 9, and Gideon follows God's order to the letter but we still see that he's, he's scared and he needs these final encouragements before he goes ahead. And the reason is because God purposefully makes his promises hard to believe because he wants the glory. And that's what he does in verse 2. He purposefully makes it hard to believe his promises. That's why we get so frightened when we hear him promise something outrageous. And what I love about this 
passage at the beginning of chapter 7 when he whittles Gideon's army down and makes the promise even harder to believe than it was before is that he does it in a, in a way that makes it clear how pathetically fearful we are without him. God could have told Gideon to just gather 300 men right from the beginning. And to me, that would have seemed a little bit more straightforward. But instead, he gets him to call thousands of men out, and then he narrows it down in a really humbling way, just to make a point. In verse 3, it says that 22,000 fully grown men Go home because they are scared. That's almost 70% of his entire army. These men were frightened to reclaim the promises God had given to them and to their nation. And it's not like they were scared of something small, like stubbing their toe in battle. They were scared of dying. (laughs) It's probably a little bit of a legitimate fear. I imagine what might be going through their head is, is this worth losing my life for? Is this worth my wife losing her husband for? Is this worth my children losing their father for? What goes through your head when you're challenged to reclaim a forgotten promise of God in your life. A promise God has asked my husband and I to claim is what he speaks about in Revelation 7. He says that every tribe and every nation and every tongue will worship him before his throne at the end of days. And I know what goes through my head when I feel him prompting me to claim that promise. I'm, Jack and I are about two months away from uh, leaving to go to a place where God's church has never before existed. For 2,000 years, it has not existed in this place. And I'm standing here kind of pathetically thinking, is it really worth it? <laughs> is it worth leaving this for my friends, my family? Is it worth dying for? Possibly. And I'm afraid of many things. Honestly. And some of them are in my head, but some of them are actually legitimate concerns that need to be thought through. Those 22,000 men made a kind of cost-benefit analysis. (laughs) And I think they fell on the wrong side of the fence. They went home, and they missed out on claiming a promise. Discipleship is costly. God reduces the number of men Gideon has in another humbling way as well. He chooses the men who lap from the water like dogs. It's not a very, you know, dignified description. (laughs) And those 300 men weren't exactly the strongest fighters or the most skilled. It was a pretty arbitrary choice. It doesn't really matter who we are. That's what I feel like God is saying through this. Well-built or really small. 
strong fighters or a little bit of a weakling? If you're willing to be used despite your fears, that is all that God wants. And in fact, the smaller and the weaker you are, probably the better. (laughs) Hudson Taylor said, God only uses those who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. So moving on to encouragement, it's probably no surprise that Gideon needed a bit of an extra push after his army had been whittled down so viciously. He's got less than 1% of his men now. And what I find really beautiful about this moment in the story is that God knows that he needs encouragement. He factors it in before Gideon can even turn to God and say, God, I'm really scared. But God didn't actually have to give Gideon that final encouragement. He'd already confirmed the promise multiple times and with miracles. God sent Gideon an angel. He made fire miraculously consume the offering of food that Gideon prepared. God ensured Gideon didn't die when people got angry about him pulling down the idols in his area. God's spirit came down powerfully on him. God's given him a very clear sign using the fleece. And God gives him very clear, if slightly unconventional, instructions about how to manage his men. And I'm sure many leaders would appreciate that kind of clarity from God. (laughs) And now God says, go and attack. This is your moment, Gideon. And Gideon, unlike quite a few of the leaders and judges who I I think always seem really strong, is still doubting and is still scared and God knows it. And in chapter 6, he erected an altar which he called God is peace, God is my peace, in order to remind himself of this promise that God had given him. And now he does not seem like a very peaceful kind of guy. And I'm exactly like that with the promises that God's given to me. At the beginning of this year, um, I felt God say to me that this was going to be a year of peace. And I needed to try and remember that as we go through lots and lots of changes. And as we move to a country where there has not been peace for decades, there is war, there is bloodshed, there is real atrocities... And even though God has spoken, I don't feel peace. Even though I've erected my altar in my mind and have my verses to tell myself, God is my peace, I don't always feel peaceful. And God has done so much for me. He's provided for me. He's protected me. He's guided me. He's done so much. And yet I've still got this little niggling question sometimes, which is, is this really worth it, God? Do you really mean it, God? Is God's gospel worth dying for? Is God's gospel worth you facing your fears for? Will Gideon ever be that mighty warrior that God called him to be at the start? Will I ever be that mighty warrior that God called me to be? And Jesus, when his disciples are afraid, sometimes I find him really abrupt. 
I don't know if you've read Mark 4, when Jesus calms the storm. His disciples are freaking out that they're just about to drown. And Jesus wakes up, he calms the storm, and then he turns around to them and says, what were you so scared of? Where's your faith? And he just leaves it at that. And God could have just said, come on, Gideon. You're doubting my character. You're doubting my promises. And it's only by God's grace that he doesn't say, man, pull yourself together. (laughs) And God gives Gideon a final encouragement in the most unlikely place. May we look for those final encouragements in the most unlikely places. And that night when God comes to Gideon, he says, get up, go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. If Gideon had gone up and attacked the Midianites straight away, the outcome would have been exactly the same. Gideon didn't need that final encouragement because it was vital for the victory. He received it because God is gracious. And that leads me on to obedience. What was Gideon's response? He bows down and he worships. He's humbled And he gives God the glory for the victory, which is yet to come. He hasn't won against the Midianites yet. And he's worshipping God and giving him the glory for the victory, which is yet to come. And then what does he do? He acts. Why? Because worship flows into obedience. Worship without obedience is not worship. Worship without obedience is not worship. Get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. That's what he shouts as he wakes all of his men up. Notice the past tense. Until now... The promise has always been phrased in the future tense by God. In verse 7 and in verse 9, I will give the Midianite camp into your hand. This is the first time that Gideon, we hear Gideon say the promise for himself. And he uses the past tense. Why is that? It's because he's become convinced that when God promises something, he means it. When God promises something, he means it. Gideon gets to the point where he says, Okay, God, you got me. I'm convinced. I might still feel a bit frightened, but I've torn down my idols. I've been filled with your spirit. I've been weakened and humbled before you. I know the dangers. I've counted the cost, but I'm willing. I'll obey. I'll do it. He counts on the promise and he does the thing that God has been speaking to him about for some time now. Feel the fear and do it anyway. 
When God promises you something, you will have fears. When you fear, God will encourage you. When God encourages, will there be obedience? When God promises, you will have fears. When you fear, God will encourage. But when God encourages, will there be obedience? That is the question. Being afraid is not an excuse for disobedience. I am not the best person for the job that God has asked me to do. And sometimes when I think about my fears or my weaknesses or my lack of experience, I wonder if all the people who are praying for us and who are supporting us would still do that. Or maybe they would just pray all the more harder. (laughs) Yeah. But I am willing to count on God's promise. And I'm not willing to wait around for another year for yet another encouragement to just get on with it. And I wonder whether God knew I needed a bit of a final encouragement. Um, I went overseas five years ago for just one year. um, And before I left, I was feeling uh, pretty turbulent. And somebody gave me a prophetic word from Gideon's story. And he said, you might feel like you're hiding in a wine press, but God calls you his courageous little warrior. And that was, that was the word that I held on to that year whenever I was a bit homesick, and my mum knows how homesick I was. <laughs> and now I find it so humbling that two months before I'm going to go overseas again, this time for the long haul, that God gives me Gideon to speak on. Because I didn't choose it. Keith just emailed it to me. And as I've been reading this story again, I've felt God saying to me, okay, my courageous little warrior, this is the real thing. Do it. And I don't think I'm the only person that God is saying that to today. As Steve said, today is the 1st of September, and everybody knows that the 1st of September is actually the start of the year, and it's not the 1st of January, because (laughs) school starts. (laughs) And this September is no exception, um, because this is a new year in the life of our church. God gave us a promise about Tyndale School a really long time ago as a church. And we've had times when uh, God has shown us how weak and pitiful and scared we are without him, so that he gets the glory, and we've been refused planning permission or various hurdles. But he's consistently encouraged, has, he has consistently encouraged us. And months ago, we were given a prophetic word as a church to wake up to him. And now I feel like this is the time when we're going to get up and we're going to claim that promise that God gave us about this school. I'm excited for this church. That question that I asked at the beginning, where in your life is God asking you to be obedient to him and claim a promise that he's given you? 
Has God promised that he will provide for your family if you go part-time on your job to help out at Tyndale or help out at another MC project? Has God promised that he will be with you as you take headship of your family? Has God promised that he will bring your friends to know him as you speak to them about your faith? Has God promised you that he will heal if you boldly pray for people who are sick? Has God promised that he will transform your situation if you are obedient to forgive? Has God promised that he will protect you as you venture overseas to bless the nations? Or maybe harder, has God promised that he will protect your loved ones as they venture overseas to bless the nations? Or maybe you feel like God hasn't promised you much or anything before. Well, this is God's promise to you today. If you seek him each day in prayer and in the word, you will hear him promise beautiful things to you. Because our God is a God who makes promises and he keeps them. And all these promises come with fears. But today is God's encouragement to get up and obey. This is God's encouragement. Get up. The Lord has given his promises into your hands to claim. When are you going to obey? Now? Or the next time God reminds you of that forgotten promise? If this is the first time that you're hearing God's promises for your life, please seek prayer ministry. If you feel like you need that final encouragement from God, please seek prayer ministry. But if this isn't the first time, if this is not the first time that you felt God reminding you of a promise that he wants you to claim, don't seek prayer ministry. Turn to somebody and tell them what it is that you have been delaying doing out of fear. And then remain accountable to them to do it. May the beginning of this academic year be a significant time for you and for our church. Because God is with you, mighty warriors. Get up. Get up. The Lord has given his promises into your hands to claim today.